0: In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. You may be seated. It is uh, so good to be worshiping again with you all today. I had the privilege of going to our diocesan clergy retreat this last week in Nashville. It was the first time that all of the clergy in our diocese could gather together again since before the pandemic. So it was really, really good to see old friends and new friends. Meet some new uh, new people who are new to our diocese. If you don't know, our diocese is it's a non-traditional diocese in that we are spread out over uh, like across the country, across the nation. We have sister churches to our church here at, in Austin. We have sister churches in Seattle, in Los Angeles, in New York, in Atlanta, in Chicago, like everywhere. So if you're ever traveling and you want to find a sister C4SO church, there is a chance you might find one. Uh, wherever you're going. So definitely look that up. Uh, but it is good be- to be back here in Austin with all of you this morning as we continue in our Eastertide celebration. If you are new to Rez, uh, welcome this morning. We're so glad that you could be with us today. And for all of you uh, mothers out there, biological mothers, grandmothers, spiritual mothers, uh, happy mothers say to you as well. Last week, I asked the question, what is the church? What does it mean to join in and participate in life together as a community here at Resurrection. We who find ourselves in between Jesus' death and Resurrection and the commissioning of the disciples on one side and this worshiping community in heaven that we saw around the throne. We find ourselves in this in-between. We're trying to make sense of the world we live in together and all the complexities and all the challenges and all the troubles we see in the world's We're trying to make sense of that all together in this in-between space. And I see, I see how you are all trying to make sense of the world that you live in, how you are navigating the troubles that you see before you. One of the gifts of being a pastor to all of you, and I don't know all of you super well yet, but one of the privileges of being in this role is to be able to walk alongside of you as you face troubles. As you experience the challenges of this world, as you experience the complexities of living life, I see it. And so I ask the question again, what does it mean to be the church as we try to navigate this life together? As we encounter the big things of the world that are happening in the world around us? And what does it mean to be the church as we navigate the concrete, the personal, the embodied things that are happening in our daily lives not just the stuff that's out there in the world right there's all sorts of stuff that is happening but what is the stuff that's right in front of us the loss and the loneliness that we feel each day anxiety sickness pain and sorrow busyness and exhaustion hard relationships in our lives we could go on and name a million things of the things that we face each and every day and so as we continue in this sabbatical season, we'll be spending time reflecting on what it means to be this Eucharistic community called the church, this community that centers its entire life around the crucified and resurrected Jesus as we face life as it is in front of us. Today, we, we find ourselves back in the book of Revelation, only a few chapters after our, our reading from last week. And if you remember in Revelation, we encounter this vision from John as, as he is exiled on the island of Patmos. This letter was written during the beginning stages. If you remember from last week, it was re- written in the beginning stages of the early church. It was in this time that there was intense persecution in the early church. When John had this vision, it was written during the Roman Empire, where the church was trying to make sense of its own calling and what it looks like to be a faithful witness in the world amidst the persecution and the oppression all around them. And for these early Christians, Revelation was a vision of a promised future for a community under the threat of empire. It was like pulling back the veil and getting to get a glimpse of heaven and our awaited future there. Revelation was a gift to the church because it provided the church with this vision of hope for what could be. What would come to pass. Not in a let's try to figure out the exact date of when Jesus is gonna, was going to return kind of way. We can't read Revelation like that. Like, like this intricate puzzle to solve. That's just not how it's meant to be read. Revelation is all about discipleship. In the present. It's learning about how to live today with some sense of what the future holds. It's it's kind of like, hey, you're in the thick of it right now as the church, and you're trying to figure out what it means to be the church amidst the trouble. So let me tell you a little bit about the end of the story, and let that give you an imagination for how to be the church in the here and now. It's all about discipleship. And so we come to our passage this morning, a passage that you all know really well, it's A beloved passage has been read many times. It's one of my favorites. And we're going to dive back into this passage in John chapter 7 together. I'm going to read a little bit of it again uh, for you. It's starting at verse 9. After this I looked and there was a great multitude that no one could count. From every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. Standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Robed in white with palm branches in their hands. They cried out in a loud voice saying, salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the lamb. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They will hunger no more and thirst no more. The sun will not strike them nor any scorching heat for the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd and he will guide them to springs of of the water of life and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And that, friends, is a word for us today, isn't it? That is good news. That vision in Revelation 7. The Lamb will be their shepherd. Sit with that for a minute. Usually when someone is combining metaphors like this, I cringe a little bit inside. But in this case, I'm, I'm here for it, right? The Lamb will be their shepherd. Jesus is the Lamb of God. The one who was slain and rose again for the sake of the world. The lamb who sits at the center of the throne of heaven. And the blood of the lamb makes it so that death does not get the final word. Death does not get the final word in this life. As we pray every, day, every week in our Eucharistic liturgy, Jesus broke the bonds of death, trampling hell and Satan under his feet. As the veil is pulled back here in Revelation and we catch a glimpse of what is and what is to come, it is revealed that at the end of all things, death has been defeated. No more hunger, no more thirst, no more tears. That's in our passage this morning. And we, as the church, lay claim to this future. We say it every week in our creed when we say, we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. And so the question that I keep coming back to is this. If it's really true, and if we really lean into this reality in Revelation 7, how might that actually change the way we live today? How might that alter our perspective on the present day? Or another way to say it is, how might we live differently as the church if we were to put our hope in that end? How might knowing the end of the story shape the way we live today. This is the question that I put before you today. What and what I think revelation demands of us, I think. I'll give a few examples. This past year I had to preside over a funeral as a pastor. As my first funeral actually as a pastor. And it was a gift to be able to be a part of it, but it was also one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. And as I prepared, I spent time in the funeral liturgy in the prayer book It's called the Burial of the Dead Liturgy. And this liturgy in our prayer book is, I found, rediscovered actually, because I've read it before, but I rediscovered that I think this might be the most beautiful liturgy in our entire prayer book. Take it sometime. Take a prayer book from the back and read it sometime. At one point in this Burial of the Dead Liturgy, near the end, as people prepare to carry the body of the deceased out of the church, we pray together, Give rest, O Christ, to, to, your, to your servant with your saints, where sorrow and pain are no more, neither sighing but life everlasting. And then, it, and then we pray this. All of us go down to the dust, yet even at the grave we make our song. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. I love that line. All of us go down to the dust, Yet even at the grave, we make our song. This is a prayer that can only be prayed if we know the end of the story. Even in the face of death, we can sing hallelujah because we believe the blood of the lamb broke the bonds of death. It is a prayer of defiance, actually. A prayer of defiance to death and the grave. How much knowing the end of the story that death is defeated how might that shape the way we live today? How might it shape our life together as a church? Another example uh, from our reading today in Revelation 7 is at the beginning of this passage in, in Revelation. Revelation 7, 9 says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, and people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Every nation tribe people and language worship, worshiping the lamb around the throne this is our end church we will be worshiping in heaven with lots of people who don't look like us and praise god because if it's left up to me to lead people in gospel music lord help us right Revelation 7-9 is the great reversal of the story of Babel and all of the ways in which our pride and our self-interest and power have created divisions and injustice around the world. And Revelation 7-9 invites us into this future hope that also demands that we ask the question, how might knowing the end of the story shape the way that we live today? Do we reflect this worshiping community in Revelation 7-9? How, I suppose we could look at the church globally around the world and say, yeah, we do collectively, we do, and praise God that we have brothers and sisters around the world who reflect this vision of Revelation 7-9. But here in South Austin at resurrection, of course we don't, right? This isn't like a trick question or anything. We are predominantly white. We come from a tradition that's predominantly white. And there are important questions that we have, have to ask of why this is. And if I'm not honest, sometimes I want to face those questions and sometimes I don't. But we know the end of the story. We know the heavenly vision of a diverse church worshiping the Lamb. So let that be the vision we set before us as we lean in what it means to be the church today. Let us sing together, even now, as we do every Christmas when we sing, Oh Holy Night. And let's not leave out the last verse of O Holy Night, right? Chains shall he break, for the slave is our brother, and in his name all oppression shall cease. Amen? These are just two examples in our passage for today from Revelation 7. Examples of what discipleship can actually look like as a worshiping community for us as the church today. The questions of how Revelation. This, this future uh, hope that we claim can actually be present to us in how we live today as the church. And the other beautiful reality that we haven't talked about yet from Revelation 7, the other half of this beautifully jumbled mix of metaphors that is so important to ask as we as we think about the end of the story here is that the Lamb will be what? Their shepherd, right? John's heavenly vision echoes. Here, the rest of our le- lectionary readings for today. You probably heard it as as Ruth Ann was was reading to us uh, that this good promise that we lay claim to as the church that Jesus is our good shepherd. As we face the questions that come at us in life, whether they be, they be questions about facing death or living in a culture of death all around us, or whether they be questions about race and diversity in the church, or anything that else that comes. Because we have lots of things that come our way in life, right? We know that we have, in the midst of all of that, we know that we have a God who will shelter us in his presence. Jesus, the good shepherd, will, in verse 17, lead us to springs of living water. Jesus, the good shepherd, will guide and protect and lead us into this good work of the kingdom and of discipleship. Jesus, the good shepherd, will give us everything that we need to do the good and hard work of being the church. Which is good news because we need all the help we can get, right? What would it look like for us to be a church that has laid claim to the end of the story for ourselves? How might that shape how we engage as the church? How might that shape how we approach everything? And what would it look like for us to let the Good Shepherd lead? What would it look like for him to let him lead us into this good work? What would it look like for us to relinquish some of that leading that we tend to do ourselves and allow him to guide and shepherd us? For him to protect us. For him to lead us beside still waters. These are the questions I invite you to mull over this week as you go about your days and your weeks, as you go about your life and your work and your inter- interactions with your friends, family, coworkers all that. I invite you to into these questions as we continue to learn what it means to be the church together. We're going to close with a reading of Psalm 23 again from a slightly different translation than we typically use. So let this psalm, which is such a beautiful psalm, psalm right? It's a psalm that is often used at funerals, but I don't think it's meant just to be for funerals. So let this, this psalm be the prayer that leads us into this week. If you need to, close your eyes. Let's rest in this psalm together. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He takes me to lush pastures. He leads me to refreshing water. He restores my strength. He leads me down the right paths for the sake of his reputation. Even when I must walk through the darkest valley, I fear no danger, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff reassure me. You prepare a feast before me in plain sight of my enemies. You refresh my head with oil. My cup is completely full. Surely your goodness and faithfulness will pursue me all my days. And I will live in the Lord's house for the rest of my life. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's take a moment of silent reflection as we allow the Spirit of God to continue to speak to us. You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com.